0: A start on demand. Demand.
1: A lot of you were fired up about this today as we learned that federal inmates are set to receive the COVID-19 vaccine before prison guards and before the general population at large. Manitoba has introduced its first ever Minister of Mental Health, Wellness, and Recovery. And we will get reaction on that from psychologist Dr. Raymond Abdurrahman. This news stopped a lot of people in their tracks on Tuesday. Dr. Dre was rushed to the hospital after suffering a brain aneurysm. So we'll have a conversation about his influence on popular music and the celebrity news that stopped you in your tracks. And the holiday celebrations continue as today is Orthodox Christmas Eve. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And this is the Wednesday, January 6th podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. GMAC, I know you're big into the ice hockey, as I like to say. Did you stay up late and watch the juniors?
0: I didn't even see the opening face-off. 8.30 is way too late for me, even for a Jets game that is pushing it during the week. And with all due respect to Canadian junior hockey, there was no way I was staying up to watch that game. And ultimate disappointment for Team Canada, of course, as they fall 2 nothing to the U.S., but there was just no way I was keeping my eyes open to, to watch that. I was
2: disappointed by that start time. Sorry, Brett, because I have actually watched every single game of this tournament and some of the other games as well between the other teams when Canada wasn't involved. And then last night, I said, oh, I'll at least watch the first period because I was thinking it was an 8.30 Eastern start. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, give me some time. And when I learned it was 8.30, I just was like, you know, I think we've talked often Tuesdays are harder than Mondays for some reason in our sleep deprived lives. And yeah, I was I was out. And then of course you wake up in the middle of the night and you're looking for some good news and then I got all those alerts saying Canada had lost. But honestly, based on the how the pools were working this year and, and how they had played in some games and I just didn't think they had truly been tested and that was their only test of the tournament and they, you know, failed as maybe harsh, but they just they didn't have it. So I, I'm weirdly not surprised.
1: Yeah, Canada losing 2 nothing to the United States of America. I know I saw some people saying, you know what, I think I'm just going to go to bed because I feel like yeah, sometimes if I bail in a big event I'm going to wake up and, and find that that, that a miraculous <laughs> comeback has yes, occurred. Exactly. So I actually, I so I was the only Weirdly. one that, who saw, I didn't stay up and watch the game. I just happened to be up and I, I sort of checked in from time to time like, okay, the Americans are winning 2 nothing. I'll check back and come back. Okay, the Americans are still winning 2 nothing. And I think it was about six and a half minutes left in the game where I thought I'm not sticking around for this because I didn't even mean to be up that late I, I too wanted to be in bed but I I was watching a history of swear words on Netflix and I think I fell asleep around 4 four thirty and woke up at six and thought well that's great there goes the <laughs> there goes sleep for the night because <laughs> I knew I'd be up till ten thirty. so uh but yes the, I'm sure a lot of people not too Happy about that today, but I'm guessing there will be a lot of people, Greg, like yourself, who are happy about the fact that a residential plow, that Mr. Plow, will be visiting your streets starting tomorrow morning.
0: I think about nine minutes after we got off the air yesterday, a news release came out from the city of Winnipeg about an overnight residential parking ban. I think that was the subject line, and well, that could mean only one thing. They're plowing residential streets, so that's going to start, I guess, at midnight, Tonight? Is that how that's working? I should probably open that before I start referencing it. (laughs) Uh, All I know is that yesterday on my walk again, it was absolutely treacherous on my street and the section of the street where we don't have any sidewalks so yes i'm i'm more happy about it for the people who like to walk and uh, need to walk on the street in the suburbs uh than for any other reason but it is getting kind of gross out there
2: i think i'm going to start saving every text around this time of year brett from greg that has like a residential plow with exclamation marks (laughs) once he learns about it i feel like it's been a couple years now where greg it's uh he's he gets to january and if he hasn't seen one He's not happy. Well,
0: we haven't had to do them very often (laughs) over the last three years. So that's good. It's probably been
2: pretty good on the city budget. i set my clock to it. I saw that yesterday (laughs) and I was like, there it is. There's Greg with his thrilling uh, (sighs) residential plow announcement. You know you're getting old when
0: you get excited (laughs) about when the milkman, the postman, and the snowplow come. Well, it, it, for
1: one thing, the it, the the, band, the parking ban starts at 7 a.m. Uh, tomorrow morning, so plows can start cleaning up those streets. But you're not alone, Greg. Anya Nazaravich, our colleague, uh, Global News colleague, who is a bit younger than us, she put a picture on Instagram yesterday saying, hey, you think my street could use a plow? And it's the same thing. It's just her street is a mess, no sidewalks on her street, and she likes to run. She doesn't just like to walk in the winter. She oh, likes boy. to run. So having to run through that mess... Uh I I, w- I would imagine this is the reason why that they are taking on the residential plow because so many people are trying to be active and trying to get out. Uh so good for the city for for doing that to clean up that mess, especially as we're now looking at some colder temperatures uh starting late next week.
2: Yeah. With all this slush and stuff, freezing, and you know, Brett, I think we were talking last week about the kind of Manitoba shuffle that you do when it's cold. And then yesterday when I was out driving, I noticed all these people walking like really stiffly because they were walking and running much slower than normal, like with that careful steps because they were trying to prevent themselves from falling. So I get it.
1: And by the way, question of the day results at CJOB.com from yesterday. Does the city of Winnipeg do a good enough job on clearing snow from sidewalks? And this was a close race. 39% say sometimes yes, sometimes no. 33% say it's fine in my neighborhood. And uh, 28% say no, it's a mess as always. A bit of a different result on Twitter where... No, it's a mess, as always, won the day at 42%, and 31% said it's fine in my area. So you can still cast your vote, cjob.com. We'll get a new question up for you this morning, uh, as well as on Twitter at 680CJOB, and that's brought to you by CreditAid, helping Manitobans get out of debt since 1992. Visit creditaid.ca, call 204-987-6890. And, Loren, now we're going to be talking in our next half hour and in our next hour about the changes that came uh, at the provincial cabinet level. What was your reaction, to what you saw?
2: Uh, so, like, in some ways, not surprised, right? I think when you're in these really high profile, heavy positions, there's a lot going on, a lot of money, a lot of responsibility. And so, it's not unusual to see ministers moved in and out of these roles, you know, 18 months, two years, two and a half years into them. And so, in some ways, the fact that the health minister was one of the first people to be shuffled out and then a new health minister in didn't surprise me except for because we're in this pandemic. I think that the spotlight was really on that portfolio. And so I think regardless of how far into his career, Cameron Friesen's career as a health minister, he was, he had to go based on just how things have gone in the last few weeks and months, sometimes just change. It's like you're, it's like a lineup change and I hate to sound like Brian Pallister on a sports analogy here. Right. But sometimes you just throw someone new in in hopes it changes it changes the narrative. And so, in part, I think that's what happened. But we're going to play some interesting clips from that news conference yesterday with Brian Pallister and his reaction to some of those questions because, it, to me, it's sort of telling of where we're at right now with everybody's emotions really at a higher tipping point, Greg.
0: Yeah, and uh, the August of 2018, Calvin Gertson and Cameron Friesen took on their portfolios that they held until yesterday but uh, i will stand on this one this was not uh, you've been here for too long and this is the normal changing cycle for uh, ministers uh cameron Friesen was fired as health minister and i'll stand by that and uh i'm just gonna write that down right now that that's my stand on it
1: Mackling McGarry and McNabb When I saw this headline yesterday It immediately made me Remember like <laughs> That this person may very well be Responsible for like Half of the music Of my adolescence And my young adult years And the, the amount of music This one man is responsible for Is pretty staggering uh, So at least Got some good news overnight, Loren
2: yeah, and we're of course talk about Dr. Dre and the headline that he had been rushed to hospital yesterday and that had so many fans and friends of the music mogul just really shocked and concerned. You mentioned the influence he's had over your life and musical choices, Brett, uh, Snoop Dogg, Mary J. Blige, Gwen Stefani, he wrote and produced for many of them and then of course perhaps the most notable is Eminem, who Dr. Dre helped launched his career 20 years ago. But the good news is there were reports from the LA Times and a couple other publications that he had suffered a possible brain aneurysm. But in a post to Instagram last night, Dre said he was hoping to be home soon, writing thanks to my family, friends, and fans for their interest and well wishes. I am doing great. and getting excellent care from my medical team. I will be out of the hospital and back home soon. And so that, of course, was from Dr. Dre himself, I'm guessing, from hospital. But, uh, Greg, I think what it had many of us doing is just reflecting, as Brett said, on holy cow, this guy is truly something.
0: Yeah, he is responsible for much of the sound of... Uh, so many of our youth, certainly not me, I'm too old for that, but a lot <laughs> of the music that I love uh, that's outside the rock and roll genre, Dr. Dre has certainly had a hand in. And, of course, the headphones that so many of our kids or maybe ourselves wear, Beats by Dr. Dre. And this is a great excuse for me to pump one of my favorite ever documentaries, The Defiant Ones. It chronicles Dr. Dre and J- Jimmy Iovine and their uh, their move towards selling uh, Beats by Dr. Dre to, uh, to, I guess it's to Apple, and it's an incredible look at the history of music from from two sides of a coin. Three billion dollars they sold Beats for. Incredible, yeah. right? Yeah, it, I mean
1: they're overrated headphones, by the way. They're good, but they're, they are they are too expensive for what you for what you get. I think, I, but they're still very good headphones. But yeah, even this list that you that you put together here, Loren, of all of the people that he's worked with. I forgot about 50 Cent. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, because I was thinking, I played that first song I played was Nothing But a G-Thang from his early 1990s album, The Chronic. And I remember listening to Snoop Dogg, What's My Name, on my Walkman as I got it on cassette for christmas day some very wholesome christmas music oh by. yes
0: absolutely <laughs> i'm sure your Did mom listened to every single lyric <laughs> I- <laughs> before handing that over <laughs>
2: that's what i was gonna say like my mom with madonna like a virgin went through that with a fine-tooth comb and still somehow like a virgin passed. so here we are oh.
1: <laughs> but uh yeah so good glad to hear that he says he's doing great McGarry and McNabb, our latest Jets update with Kelly Moore coming up at 6.55. But right now, we want to talk about the celebrity news that stopped you in your tracks. Because what was the announcement yesterday, GMAC?
0: Well, on Twitter last night, surprise, surprise, is where I stumbled upon reports that Dr. Dre had suffered a brain aneurysm and was in hospital in Southern California. And it turned out uh, that he was... um, Well, he was recovering nicely, actually. He sent out an Instagram post last night saying that uh, he's doing well and that he should be out of the hospital soon and was thanking everybody for their support. So I think that was uh, a relief to a lot of people who love Dr. Dre and his music and the influence that he's had on music because um, let's face it, 2020 was a terrible year on so many fronts, including the number of celebrities that we lost.
1: So we want to go around the horn here and talk about the the news that maybe stopped you in your tracks. I still remember back in the early, I think this was the early 1990s. I was around 13 or 14. Huge basketball fan. Magic Johnson was my favorite player in the NBA. So when I got home to the news that he had suddenly retired because he had contracted HIV, I was just stunned because, A, I was sad, that he was potentially at I mean, at the time that, that was for many people a death sentence. Uh, so I was sad that he might die. I was sad my favorite player was gone from the NBA, but I was also sad because he contracted it because he was cheating on his wife. So it sort of blew up my, you know, he was like my idol. So it changed my view of him. So that was my news. Uh, Cameron Poitras, what about
3: you? Uh, when Anthony Bourdain uh, took his life was the one that really hit me. Yeah. Um, I watched his show. Oh, I was a huge fan. I'm still a huge fan of his. And just the way that he went around the world and he met uh, just everyday people, like people in the middle of Southeast Asia living in a hut. Um, and he would just sit there and he, he was just such a genuine, he, genuine guy. And... Um, yeah it it's it it still sucks honestly like it it sounds crazy to talk about a, a celebrity like that I mean obviously it's somebody that's you know had an impact on my life. I never obviously met the guy um but yeah man it's 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 just like it was like the way I want to live my life you know go around treat everybody the same, no matter what kind of walk of life they come from and uh yeah when he when when he passed away that that sucked that was the one that kind of that that's that hit me harder than any other celebrity by far because you know, it was a guy that everybody kind of looked at and was like, this guy has the dream job. He travels the world, he eats food, he, he drinks with, with the locals. Um, it's like the, that. that's like the best job ever anybody could imagine, at least for myself, and uh, to have somebody suffer. And um, obviously there were some personal issues with his, uh, with his girlfriend at the time, a divorce. And, but uh, yeah, it's, that one hit me.
4: Skylar Peters. Uh, I think the, well, the the wound is very uh, fresh, actually. I'll, I'll get to that one in a second. The one that, like, the first one that, like, stopped me in my tracks was uh, Chester Bennington from Linkin Park. Um, only because, well, I loved his music, and I didn't really know much about his personal life, but uh, just thinking, like, there were so many times uh, that I passed up a chance to see them, you know, you think they're, uh, they're coming back, you know, it's no big deal, they're still making lots of music, and... And you just put it off, and the next thing you know, it's all it's all taken away. But uh, like, I mean, you think of uh, their young family too, and in the same thing. Just a guy who is suffering. Uh, just really sad. So that took uh, quite a while to get over. But the big one was uh, this weekend with uh, Jonathan Taves announcing he's suffering from some sort of mysterious illness and uh, can't start the season for the Chicago Blackhawks. He's the reason I uh, cheer for the Blackhawks because the Jets weren't around when I started watching hockey. Uh, he's a Winnipegger. He's a, someone, when I played hockey, I tried to model my game after, and he's he's a, a role model for me. So, um, you know, you, you just watch, you think we watched watching him in the bubble last season. Was that the last time I got to watch uh, Jonathan Taves step on the ice? I certainly hope not. And uh, I hope he's in, in good health soon and uh, can get back on the ice doing what he loves because I love watching him do it. Loren?
2: Oh, this is a hard one because there are like there's some of those stories that are just shocking because of the timing of them. So when I think, for example, if you go back to and I'm not a royal watcher at all, but when Princess Diana passed away, you you had to run to your TV for the news, right? Like I couldn't just pick up my phone and confirm we were in class, uh, university and just trying to sort out uh, what you were hearing, right? And then you have to run to the television to figure out if it's true or not and try to find a 24 hour news station, which even then, you know, wasn't a huge thing. And so... That Sometimes it's just the timing of it. And now when you hear of, of news, you have your phone. You can just pick up and double check and double, triple check and take a look to see what people are saying. So I think it's, it just sort of depends on where you're at in life. Uh, and then the other big one that stands out for me, because I remember being at work and it coming across as a news alert in that beeping, flashing color fashion that we have on our computers was in September, I think 2003, um, John Ritter and Johnny Cash died on the same day and I can't remember which came first but I just thought ugh the hits keep coming and those two were great actor uh, great musician and and when when it feels like a lot's coming at you at once I, that also might impact you in a different way Mackling
0: Well Kevin the Garbage Band says he remembers when Elvis died and seeing his parents cry and you know I remember the day Elvis died like it was yesterday. I remember exactly where we were in the car. And my aunt had actually just seen him perform live in concert down in Minneapolis. And so it hit the family uh, particularly hard. So, yeah, if we're going on the celebrity uh, death thing, uh, there's no question that uh, for me, it's Elvis Presley. Because, uh, you know, it's 1977. I can close my eyes and be exactly where I was.
1: Mackling, McGarry, and McNab, as we heard last half hour from Global's Brittany Greenslade, Premier Brittany Green or Premier Brian Pallister has expanded his cabinet and made some big changes.
2: And one of the most significant moves, Cameron
0: Friesen is no longer the health minister. The portfolio is splitting in two, with Heather Stephenson taking over Health and Seniors and newly minted Minister Audrey Gordon
3: taking on mental health.
1: Audrey Gordon, MLA for Southdale, taking on the new position of Minister of Mental Health, Wellness and Recovery. And for reaction to that news, we turn to our friend from Clinic Psychology Manitoba, Dr. Raymond Abdurrahman. Raymond, good morning to you, sir. Good morning. You've been calling on all levels of government for years to make mental health a priority. What was your reaction to this news? Well, I certainly think it's positive
5: news. It moves us in the right direction. Um, The hope is that it leads to greater action. So, um, you know, political moves can be wonderful things, um, but we have to make sure that they have teeth. Um, So we do have other provinces in Canada that do have ministries of mental health. um, The sad truth is we still have difficulties with access to mental health services, like psychological services, across Canada regardless. So uh, those step in the right direction. The question is, what does this mean next?
0: How do we hold our leaders accountable to that then, Raymond? Because this is a priority for a lot of folks, not just those in government or Apparently in government, but those in the field like yourself and for those of us uh, on the other side of the microphone and the phone line this morning, all three of us and many of our listeners feels that this is a, a super huge and important topic for us to be tackling and to get it, be getting out in front of.
5: Yeah, no, I I don't want to be a naysayer. This is certainly a step in the right direction. But like I said, what what we need is this to lead to some action. Um, What what needs to happen is to make sure that this kind of ministry now leads to further public education about what mental health is, about the nuances tied to mental health providers and the different jobs that different mental health providers do. And then also, I think, navigating a system. I think many people who have struggled with mental health you'll know, really struggle with how do you navigate the system? Now, if you have a physical health problem, the system is clear. You know exactly what to do. That is not the case when it comes to mental health. And so, I mean, our clinic alone, it's not our job, but we are often, you know, fielding and triaging cases uh, because people just don't know who to go to and and who to speak to. Uh, I think further to that, we need to be talking about access to care. Uh, And Access to care means two things. It means not just making sure that we have um, coverage for services like psychological services but but also the providers. What people don't know, let's say for in Manitoba, uh, we have the lowest number of psychologists per capita in all of Canada. What are we doing to educate uh, the number of psychologists that we need? What are we doing to retain those psychologists? You know, does it, it, people don't know this, but like physicians can incorporate uh, here in Manitoba, but psychologists cannot. And so we lose a lot of our graduates when they go to other provinces where they can incorporate as a medical business. So there's a lot of issues, whether whether it comes to education, whether it comes to business, mental health and physical health do need parity. And so, Having a ministry of mental health certainly moves in that direction. We haven't always seen that in other ministries in other provinces. So the question that we should be saying with bated breath is what next? And the way that we hold our politicians accountable is to basically call. You remember that you vote in those members of parliament. Um, Now you call, you email, you talk about it over and over uh, and that's how they know it's a big voting issue. Now, I don't mean to go on a diatribe here, but, you know, we have had other parties in place where they have said mental health is important. And, um, well, frankly, when, uh, when I was, uh, involved with the advocacy, uh, with the Manitoba Psychological Society, you know, certain political parties didn't really respond very well. And we've had to have public health campaigns, uh, where we're asking public to call in and to say, this is an important issue. This is a health issue.
2: So we're saying now, you know, when you talk about that parity and treating them the same, Dr. Raymond, so now you have these two equal, hopefully, portfolios, you know, physical health, mental health. You need dollars to enact some sort of change. There's there's obviously the paper things you can do, like you mentioned about incorporating psychologists so that they more psychologists stay here. There are little things. There are big things. And then I'm also wondering, you've mentioned other provinces that have this same Minister of Mental Health, B.C., has this position. Is there something to be learned then from anyone who might be doing it right rather than talking about those who made this change in other areas and it hasn't made a difference? Who is doing it right? And and what can we learn from maybe other people rather than trying to reinvent the wheel?
5: Well, this is the nature of humanity, right? And like some people might call me a bit of a cynic, but you know, we vote in a new president, let's say the United States votes in a new president, everybody breathes a huge sigh of relief. And what that means then is then they rest on their laurels to say, you know, this person has got it. That's not how things work. You know, we have a step in the right direction, but we do need to follow up as members of the public. We have to remember that we have a role in advocating for what we want and what we need. So, I think the next step is to say, fine, we have this, this is great, great news, but what does this mean about access to care? We we worked on stigma as a society. I mean, we still have a ways to go. We really do. But that's not the issue, right? Polls now show that it's it's not about stigma anymore. It's about access to care. And how do you how do you get that service? And how do you, how do you figure out the nuances within those services? Do I need a psychiatrist? Do I need peer support? Do I need a psychologist? Do I need a social worker? Where do I go? What does this mean? And what I hope and what I said about this uh, this public education piece is that we start to understand what those differences are, you know, versus lumping everything together in the same boat when it comes to mental health it's it's not all the same boat in the same way that there's nuances when it comes to our physical health and we have people who specialize in different things when it comes to our physical health the same thing is true for our mental health
2: you know it's interesting because i was on the drive home last night and it wasn't until i was maybe two minutes from home that it struck me that that we were going to as a community achieves such an amazing milestone and goal. And so I'm incredibly honoured and humbled to represent
1: the black community, not just here in Manitoba, but across
2: our country and the globe.
1: Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, that is the voice of Audrey Gordon, MLA for Southdale, taking on the new position of Minister of Mental Health, Wellness and Recovery. She is the first black person in Manitoba's history to be appointed to cabinet. And we're speaking with Dr. Raymond Abdurrahman from Clinic Psychology Manitoba. And Raymond, you know, we talked in our last segment about mental health and how you have been calling on all levels of government to make mental health a priority, but you've also been a champion of diversity in this community. So seeing that it's the first black person in our province's history to be appointed to cabinet, what was your reaction to that?
5: Well, yeah, I was really impressed by that, to be honest. Uh, Probably a little bit less of a cynic when it came to that piece. Um, But again, the question is, what does this mean going forward? And that's a question we need to ask ourselves. Um, Does this mean we have more people of colour in politics? Does that mean they get voted in more? you know does that mean they hold more positions of power in politics that have greater sense of influence so that the voices of people of color actually are more noticed and the perspectives more understood and actually there's the intersecting piece is can we start to now recognize the mental health outcomes of racism on people of color and marginalized people
0: Uh, Raymond, there'll be lots of people who say, oh, it doesn't matter what color skin people have. uh, We should be electing the people best suited for the job, uh, regardless uh, of who's running. And what's your response to to takes like that?
5: Yeah, you know, people have this point of view, this concept of meritocracy that, uh, you know, we earn what we do based on merit. And I'm reminded of a story of, um, of of a young woman who had graduated from the business school here in the Asper School of Business, and talked about how you know if you looked at her cv and and she was a newcomer at one point in time here in manitoba uh, she spent all her spare time helping her mother uh, do the business of cleaning uh, different businesses and homes as a cleaner versus you know having the the privilege of having wealth where, you know, she could volunteer and uh, do different things to build her CV. So when it comes to merit, uh, if you were to look at her CV versus the CV of somebody who had the privilege of wealth and stability uh, based on, you know, uh, their ethnicity or their their position in society, um, she would certainly look like she was not the best person for the job. Um, but we're missing out on all the other experiences. So meritocracy in this concept of a just world, it doesn't exist. You know, we, we people who work hard don't always get what's good for them. Um, bad things do happen to good people. Um, so I think we need to start to look at the world in a more sophisticated and nuanced way. And uh, that definitely applies to issues of diversity as well, too. This is not about the best person for the job. It's about how system, system, uh, systemic racism starts to influence our choices on who we feel is the best person for the job. And, and I will say there's a lot of research out there right now that talks about how when we think about leadership as a society, as a Western society, we tend to think of white people. And if we doubt that, you know, we should take a look at all our prime ministers, um, and all of the presidents in the United States up till recently. You know, here in Canada, we've not had a black prime minister. We've not had an indigenous prime minister. Uh, and that would speak to how, you know, is it really merit? Do we say that nobody, no person of color was actually ever qualified to do that job? I find that hard to believe.
1: Dr. Raymond Abdurrahman from Clinic Psychology Manitoba, joining us live on 680 CGOB. Raymond, a pleasure as always, sir. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, coming up after Global News at 8 o'clock, a follow-up of sorts to a conversation we had yesterday morning with Richard Cloutier, who went out in the early morning hours yesterday with Bob Christmas Winnipeg Police to hand out meals to homeless people who are using bus shacks as uh, essentially warming shelters. And Greg, who are we talking to just after 8
0: o'clock? St. James City Councillor Scott Gillingham has been out in conversation with those in his part of the city that are using Bus shelters in the same fashion, and he's uh, looking to help them out. So we'll catch up with Councillor Gillingham and uh, get uh, a little bit of a insider knowledge on on what he's trying to do. And Lorraine McNabb coming
1: up at nine thirty-five. We have to say, do we do we say Merry Christmas Eve to a huge? chunk of our population
2: yeah it's ukrainian christmas tomorrow and so this is ukrainian christmas eve and i was just looking up because i knew you were going to ask how to say in ukrainian merry christmas because our guest uh anastasia is joining us from the ukrainian community and she taught us last year and i was about to try and butcher it so maybe i'll save it for a couple hours and we can get a get a reboot on that one brett and yeah we'll learn a bit more about some of the traditions and of course like everybody else celebrating various uh holidays and and whether it's religious celebrations or other this year it's going to be very different but they can always count on some good food and some good stories and uh looking forward to our 9:35 chat.
1: It doesn't have the same marketing potential as his Winnipeg is good quote from a few years back, but it is factual.
4: I'm here, aren't I? That's the only thing I'm worried about right now.
0: That is Patrick Lyonet's response to his first question of the season about his agent, Mike Leutes' assertion that a change of scenery would be of benefit to both parties. The other party in that relationship is, of course, the Winnipeg Jets. Murad Atesh covers the Jets for the Athletic. And I have to say this, Murad, his, your work is worth a subscription cost all on its own. And we look forward to many visits with you throughout the upcoming season. Happy New Year to you, friend.
6: Happy New Year to you. Thanks for having me on.
0: Well, we like I said, look forward to uh, lots of discussions like this one. The Patrick Liney story, uh, I suspect, will be a topic of conversation uh, all season or at least until he's traded or signs a new contract. Is there any way this doesn't end up becoming a distraction for the Winnipeg Jets?
6: Well, I think that Patrick Liney doesn't want it to become a distraction, but I would caution anyone thinking that it'll be 100% normal for everybody to look at what happened on the media day when, in fact, he said, hey, I'm here, aren't I? I mean, you just played the clip. You can hear the nerves and the tension in it. He, was, he knew the questions were coming. He knew it was going to be a bit awkward. And he, he did his best to stick to a message box. And I believe he talked about not wanting to be a distraction because Pierre-Luc Dubois, uh, who has won it out of Columbus, and there are trade rumors about him, said the exact same thing. Things went awfully well for him. But we talked to Linea Stastny, Wheeler, and Paul Maurice for almost two hours if you add up all of the tape. And Jack Roslovic's name wasn't mentioned once. The player who's not in camp, the player who's not here, who doesn't have a contract, who is a much more likely player to be traded this season. Uh, We didn't talk about him even once. So that's Patrick Line's star power. That's his clout. That's his personality. We're going to be talking about him, whether he wants it or not, uh, until the situation is resolved. And I don't think that resolution is coming in until at least this summer because he's got a great on-ice situation here as soon as the puck drops.
2: So is that not in some way still going to serve as a distraction going forward? You know, there's there's part of me that thought just say what you really mean, which I know never really happens in this world anymore. And so therefore you get asked the same question over and over again. And that could in part lead to some division either with fans or within the locker room down the road.
6: Well, he got asked the same question about five or six times, and he said the same answer, I'm here, and various forms of it. He made a couple of awkward jokes about even when Gretzky could be traded, uh, but what he didn't do was walk back the suggestion that he would, in fact, prefer a trade. And when it came to both parties' talk, He was suggesting that if he plays well and has a great season and Winnipeg does well, that's what's good for both parties. And I think that that's an asset consideration. That's about him making himself a desirable trade piece uh, during the summertime when, in fact, cap space is available, teams have a little bit more flexibility with their rosters, and a transaction like that could go down. In the meantime, I mean, will it be a distraction for the Jets in terms of their relationships, in terms of their how they work? I think it's a valid question. I don't think that you'll ever get someone like Blake Wheeler saying the wrong thing about that sort of situation in public. Paul Maurice did a great job with his press yesterday. So if they're as good behind closed doors at sort of keeping things to their own messaging and keeping things positive, talking about the ice above all else then then great but certainly there are going to be players and in, in situations where there's a concern over what happens to
0: patrick so it is training camp no preseason games this year we're going to jump right into it on the 14th against the flames right here in winnipeg Murat. the jets let's take a look at their their fortunes and, and what you see coming for them they have the reigning vesna trophy winner in goal and connor hellebuck one of the best group of top six forwards in the league and we can argue about that uh, backwards and forwards safe to say the pressure is on their defensive play and their six defensemen whoever they may be on any given night to play above expectations in order for this team to separate itself from four or five others in the north division
6: 100 percent. that's the exact read that i would have it's that Yes, there's a mix of Canadian teams that could finish in the top four and therefore walk away in, into the playoffs uh, this spring. Winnipeg's in that mix. They're not a heavy favourite. They're not sure to be below it. They're in that mix of teams like Calgary, Vancouver, Edmonton, and Montreal. Um, to make that happen, well, go to Paul Maurice, go to Mark Shifley from yesterday, go to Adam Lowry from yesterday. What they're talking about and what we're asking about, those of us who are asking on ice and non-Patrick Kleinic questions, um, are how the success is going to come. And everyone knows that Winnipeg gave up too many chances last year. Adam Lowry said it, Paul Marie said it, Mark Shifley said it. They know. The big question is going to be how they come. Part mentalize the types of chances that they gave up and sort of attack each one component by component. There were chances off the cycle. There were chances off the rush. Uh, there were chances off extended zone time. And I guess they have a different plan uh, for each sort of situation. And then a the big thing, uh, because it's team defenses, you're right, it's not just the whoever six defensemen are in the lineup on any given night. It's about the full team. And it's about someone like Mark Shifley taking that next step in his career, establishing himself as a two-way dominant force. As as opposed to just one of the world's best offensive players, which he already is.
0: We would have to, we'd have to really quick, if we can, Murat, take a look at the the three jets that were involved in the world junior hockey championships. Maybe you can give us the uh, elevator pitch version and synopsis of what they did starting with 2019 first round draft choice, Billy Hanala.
6: Billy Hela, top defenseman of the tournament, as voted by media, played 27 minutes a night. That's huge. After dominating against men in Finland all year, he had a standout performance at the tournament. Winnipeg's best prospect there. Uh, Cole Perfetti scored some key goals, uh, had his ice time limited, Third line kind of minutes with first time power play minutes as the tournament got on. I thought he got better and better, including towards the end of that game against the United States. And then Henry Nikkinen was Finland's third line center with some power play time as well, so he'll be someone to look forward to.
1: Murat Atash covering the Winnipeg Jets for the Athletic, joining us live on 680 CJOB. We're going to speak to Murat a lot throughout the upcoming Jet season. Thank you so much for joining us, sir.
6: Thank you for having me. So much fun, guys.
1: Magarian McNabb What's My Name by Snoop Dogg or as he was known then, Snoop Doggy Dog. a song produced by the one, the only Dr. Dre and we learned yesterday that he was rushed to hospital with a brain aneurysm he posted on social media that he's doing great he's getting great care but that was news that had a lot of people worried a lot of people sort of on pins and needles hoping that he would be okay so we had a conversation last hour about this stunning news about celebrities that kind of stopped you in your tracks. And Jeff Fortier in Master Control, we didn't get to yours. We ran out of time. So we'll get to that in a second. And Greg, I think you, you have a story involving <laughs> hurling a radio across the room, if I heard you correctly. But, Loren, uh, you pointed out off air to our colleague Jeff Courier a certain trade that I think made the whole country go, What?
2: Yeah, and then say, where are you going? That was how I remember feeling at about 11 years old, August 9th, 1988. Edmonton Oilers trade Wayne Gretzky to the Los Angeles Kings. And I, I you can see that image with Wayne in front of that bank of microphones wiping away tears as he explains why he's going and how he kind of wanted to go and and just the whole world reaction and i just at that time the world was so small to me and i i had never even thought of cheering for the kings once in my life but we were a gretzky fan in our family and so our reaction was a lot of shock and then i think there were some people who were excited because that meant he was no longer with the oilers and maybe that was going to give the jets a chance greg
0: Well, let me tell you this. I was building houses that summer and framing up a deck and laying down deck boards in tuxedo. I remember once again exactly where I was when my cousin came and told me, hey, Greg, did you hear Wayne Gretzky got traded to the Kings? He did not. My older cousins, they were always pulling pranks on me, and I enjoyed working with them very much, but I didn't believe half the things that they told me because half the things they told me were either uh, going to put me in serious jeopardy health and safety-wise or were just pulling my leg. Or put them
2: in jeopardy health and (laughs) (laughs)
0: safety-wise. Eventually, yes. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, I had to find a radio because I did not believe them at all, and, of course, it was the breaking news all over. CJOB, that Wayne Gretzky had, in fact, been traded.
1: Now, Jeff Forte, you, uh, what was your suggestion going to be, your idea?
0: Well, I'm going to play a
3: little clip here.
5: <laughs> You're going to grant me any three wishes I want, right? Uh, almost. There are a few
3: uh, provisos, <laughs> uh, a couple of quick pro no, quos, <laughs>
5: Like?
7: Uh, rule number one,
5: I can't kill anybody.
7: Yeah, <laughs> so don't ask.
5: Oh, rule number two! I can't make anybody fall in love with anybody else. <laughs> you little punum there. Anyways, that's the genie in Disney's Aladdin. And of course, that is the voice of Robin Williams. And the, when I heard that he passed away, it was devastating. I remember my buddy text me saying, Hey, rest in peace, Robin Williams. And I was like, what? I had to look at it, you know, Google it. And I was just devastated. And I remember my brother coming home and I was like, Did you hear about Robin Williams? And my brother's like, what? No. what?" It's I was like, uh, he passed away. My brother thought I was kidding. And he's like, that's a messed up joke, man. Like, it's not funny. I was like, Google it, man. Google it. And it was just, it was absolutely devastating
1: for the whole world. We had a couple of listeners weigh in, actually, with that very same thought. Uh, Jeff Bill texting us saying, Robin Williams, we lost a brilliant person. And Nick uh, looks like a first-time texter. Good morning, Nick, saying, Robin Williams, how someone who lived to make others laugh could be so sad inside. Um, And that sort of dovetails with what Cam Poitras was talking about with Anthony Bourdain, who by, you know, from outside appearances, had one of the coolest jobs on earth, got to travel the world and eat and drink and hang out with the locals and learn new cultures. Uh, But he, too, was dealing with some internal struggles and uh, died by suicide. Mackling on the opposite end of the spectrum you had something that you wanted to share uh, that would make us laugh, I believe.
0: Well, I hope it will make you laugh because it happened on the day of the trade deadline, March 2nd, 19... No, 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 not March 2nd. It was March of 83, I think. I have to double-check the... The date now. I had it written down and now thrown out that paper. Anyway, I was listening. It was the NHL trade deadline. I rushed home from school to get the 425 sports from none other than Bob Irving. And he announced that the Winnipeg Jets had traded Willie Lindstrom, one of my favorite players, to of all teams, the Edmonton Oilers for Laurie Boschman. And I had these headphones, wireless headphones that had a built in radio. You gotta remember, this <laughs> oh. is the late 70s, early 80s. And <laughs> oh, I delivered man. papers with that thing on for years. It was like oh. my best friend. I took that thing and I threw it across the room. I was so mad that John Ferguson had traded Willie Lindstrom. And nothing against Laurie Boshman, but uh, the fact that he was going to the Oilers of all teams, and then he ended up having an impact on the. Pl- I'm reliving it all. Please stop. Please oh, stop.
2: I'm reliving this radio walkman, and I need some pictures of you cruising down the street oh. with your papers and your acid wash and your mane flowing. Oh, and on the whole my, thing. I'm on my this. roller skates,
0: not roller blades. No, please roller tell me you're joking. Skates. Oh no, oh. I would never joke about anything. What color like that. were they? They were blue. They were uh, pony running shoes. They were like, like jogger rolling skate, roller skates with great big yellow wheels. And I think my buddy, uh, Daryl Akomenko, <laughs> and I actually went halfers on a pair of those fuzzy pom-poms. I got the blue one. He got the pink one.
2: Please stop.
0: <laughs> I can't believe that roller skates. Well, oh, Yeah. That, on like sidewalks and stuff? Yeah, they were like uh, my transportation of
2: choice for about two years. How many times Papa you- Macklin, if we are listening, I need a photo of this. <laughs> there are no photos. We didn't have cameras then. Oh, shit. <laughs> you had a Radio
0: Walkman, but no camera to take a picture of your roller skates.
1: McGarry and McNabb. The headline at cjob.com and globalnews.ca reads, Federal inmates to start receiving coronavirus vaccinations this week.
2: That's according to the National Prison Officers Union, which says this pilot project, guys, is going to see prisons receiving 1,200 doses, enough to vaccinate 600 inmates with the required two doses. And from what the union is saying, the sick and elderly inmates will be prioritized because that follows the guidelines or recommendations from the federal government that the sick and elderly be among the first recipients of the vaccine. This rollout is supposed to start Friday, although, Greg, it's not clear if Stony Mountain is on the list of federal institutions that will be receiving a supply of vaccine scenes
0: well we've reached out to corrections canada for more information on that question loren and others right now we're joined by jeff wilkins he is the national president of the union representing corrections officers and we say good morning to you jeff good morning well simple question i think a lot of people will be uh, wanting to know the answer to right off the bat here how are you and your members feeling about this
8: well, I can tell you there's a lot of frustration uh, on my part as well as my members. Uh, you know, we have members entering uh, facilities every day and in, in your area, Stony Mountain Institution, which is a, a huge pandemic site, uh, bravely entering those institutions to protect the Canadian public. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's uh, almost uh, shameful that we're not being afforded the protection that we need to uh, do, the, do our jobs.
1: Do we know where this is happening? Like, is Winnipeg going to be on this list, Stony Mountain?
8: Uh, just hot off the press this morning, as we asked the question, uh, unfortunately, uh, the consultation process <coughs> with the union was, uh, wasn't was very good, but we've been told that it is going to be in uh, RPC, in uh, the prairie region, in the treatment centre.
2: So it's possible then for Storny Mountain to be part of this? No. Okay, sorry, I'm misunderstanding. So it's just in the treatment centres on the prairies? That's correct. So then uh, are officers involved at all, or is this just for inmates only as you know it?
8: Uh, well, I asked the question, and uh, the 600 doses that are they're receiving they're, uh, they're aiming only only toward uh, the elderly population of the inmates, and uh, it's still very unclear as to whether or not uh, our members are going to be afforded the vaccine in the workplace. We know that, according to the uh, National Advisory Committee on Immunizations this is where the Correctional Service is getting their recommendations from on this rollout, that uh, you know the elderly and those working in healthcare uh, settings, directly, uh, you, know, giving care to COVID patients are number one priority. Correctional officers won't be until phase two of the priority sequence for the rollout. And to me, that's just uh, incomprehensible considering we have members that are going into pandemic sites. eh?
0: Jeff, uh, this just is incomprehensible to me as I unwind this in my head, just the notion not only of the work that your members do, who they're doing it with, and the fact that you have these outbreaks. You mentioned the one at Stony Mountain. Uh, You could argue, at least I would argue, and you likely will as well, that these workers are on the front line as much as any personal care, home worker, any nurse, any doctor.
8: That's correct, and I don't want to take anything away from the... uh From the healthcare staff that we have working in the institutions as well everybody on that front line needs to be protected and uh, you know we we understand that it's the correctional service mandate to you know protect and provide care custody control for the uh, for the inmates Uh, but it's also their mandate and their legal requirement to protect uh, their staff members and uh, you know they're going into the institutions in in areas that you know they're it's highly infected with COVID-19 And they wear a mask and they wear goggles just the same as anybody else would, but uh, they're not being afforded this protection. And, and, you know, we understand that it's supply and demand, that we don't have many of these vaccines, but we really think that the correctional service needs to reorganize uh, the way that they're doing this rollout and prioritize based on some uh, sites that are highly affected right now.
1: I'm just looking at this story at CJOB.com. I see Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole saying not one criminal should be vaccinated ahead of any vulnerable Canadian or frontline health worker. Do you, what do you think of that sentiment?
8: Again, I, mean, I mean, when we're talking about supply and demand, we've got to look at to, to the priorities. And to me, uh, when it comes down to the, the people that are there protecting the front lines, they should be priority number one, just the same as the nurse uh, or the doctor in the ER clinic. Uh, if we don't have those doctors there to do the job, then we're in a bigger uh, bigger problem. So uh, to me, uh, the uh, staff members that are working in those front lines need to be priority number one.
2: We're getting lots of reaction to this, Jeff, from our listeners saying the guards would be one thing, but not so sure about the inmates receiving the vaccine. Before we let you go again, this is rolling out Friday, and the and the facility where it's going to be happening at, where these 1,200 doses are going, is where?
8: Well, they're, they're distributing the 1,200 doses amongst each of our regions across the country. So we have five different regions, Atlantic, uh, Quebec, Ontario, Prairies, and Pacific. And uh, this Friday, what we've been told is that they're going to do 10 inmates in one institution for each one of those regions. And uh, as the indication that I've been given for the Prairie region is that it will go to the treatment centre. And uh, so there will be 10 inmates uh, in the treatment centre that should be vaccinated by Friday. And if all goes well, then they plan to do the remaining doses uh, the, the following week.
1: All right. Thank you so much for joining us this morning, Jeff. We appreciate the time.
8: No problem. Thank you very much.
1: Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you very much for joining us today on The Start. A big meal, gifts, music, and more are all on the agenda tonight for thousands of Orthodox Christians in this province.
2: Tonight is Christmas Eve for many members of this community, guys, and that includes our large Ukrainian Manitoban population. So we're pleased to welcome on this morning Anastasia Yerenyuk. Who is a four-generation Ukrainian Baba? Did I get that right, Anastasia? Yeah, That's how you told Jeff.
7: Fourth def- and fifth generation Ukrainian Baba, you got it. So that
2: means you're a grandmother.
7: You bet! I have six lovely
2: grandchildren. Well, I love to hear that because family's what it's all about. But of course, so much family can't get together this year. Uh, You know, I know that was hard for many people with different celebrations. So how are you trying to keep the traditions alive but do things a bit differently tonight, Anastasia?
7: Well, we're doing great because with every challenge, there's an opportunity. And of course, I've been watching Christmas jars and I thought this Christmas jars takes on a whole new meaning because those jars that are going to be delivered this afternoon to my two sons and their children are going to be filled with Ukrainian delicious traditional dishes.
0: Uh, jars can you describe jars? said jars for us a little bit more Anastasia well, actually, because now I, could I want some
7: j- I can put them in jars so I've done most of the cooking at the house and we have two sons who live very close to us they're both married and have children so they will be eating in their individual houses and my husband and I will be eating in our house And um, we will be sharing the food that way to make sure that everybody has 12 traditional dishes on their tables to partake in.
1: What are the 12 dishes?
7: Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Uh, Well, the first course is and Of course, that's the main dish of the whole supper. And after that, we have the borscht, which is beet soup. And it has um, uh, vushka, which is uh, boiled dumplings that are filled with chopped mushrooms that we picked in, in the forest. And um, after that, we have a variety of fish. Some people do baked, broiled, fried, cold, in aspic, um, marinated herring. Then we have vareniki, which many people <coughs> know as pierogies, but we call them vareniki because they're boiled dumplings and they're filled with cabbage, potatoes, buckwheat, grains, or prunes. And then, of course, we have holopsy, which are the stuffed cabbage. And, of course, the dinner ends with ousvad and lots of um, poppy seed roll and rohalakeh and delicious, scrumptious Ukrainian dishes. You can't yeah, possibly fit good. this. All, are you hungry you already?
2: Po- I was going to say, I'm already Googling a couple of these foods, Anastasia, but these can't possibly all fit in this jar that you speak no, of. No,
7: no, no. They're <laughs> all in individual jars. So they, they all will get 12 different dishes.
0: So, Anastasia, and I, I, when you were about to list off the food, I'm thinking, I believe if memory serves, because I used to celebrate this a long time ago, there was no, there's no meat in the dishes on Christmas Eve, correct?
7: No, they're absolutely meatless because this is a period of fasting that is required by the church until Christmas Day. And it's also respect to the animals.
1: Why is it important that you show that, that respect on Christmas Eve?
7: because this is a time that we, we humble ourselves and we're humbled by by the COVID issue and we humble ourselves um, and to our, ourselves and our extended family and we respect the animals. We do rely on the animals, especially in the olden days where they were the source of power and energy to, for the fields. And then, of course, they provide the meat and, and the love and everything that comes with the animals. Really important to respect the animals.
2: So Christmas Eve's tonight, tomorrow, of course, then Christmas Day. And this is for Orthodox churches in Russia, Ukraine, Serbia, all sorts of different places in the world, Anastasia. And I'm curious, you know, as a fourth generation, fourth, fifth generation yes. Ukrainian baba, is it been, is it difficult to keep the, this going on because it is on its own calendar, on the Julian calendar? Or have you found over the years that your family's really adopted this Christmas and made sure to keep that, keep what's important to you alive?
7: Oh, you know what? Our families have adopted it, and they love it, and it's just very, very special. We're lucky, and probably the envy of many, because we do celebrate St. Nicholas Day, which is on the 19th of, of December, where the kids start to get the gifts, and then, of course, we celebrate the 24th um, and the 25th, but, of course, the uh, 6th is the, and 7th is the more religious holidays, and it's um, a very joyful time. It's a time for children. It's um, the children are really engaged and involved in the celebration. The youngest one always looks for the first star to, um, to as the indicator of starting our meal. Uh, the children carols, of course. Um, in <laughs> on non-COVID times, they would all be at our house, where we would have hay underneath the table, and the hay would be filled with coins and chocolate and 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 candy and and oranges, and they would all dive in there. So it's absolutely about the children.
1: You got to bring hay into the home and stuff it under the table.
7: Yes, and even some under the um. Uh, tablecloth as well, because we have two tablecloths that um, that we have on our table. One is uh, to respect the um, living, and one is to respect the, um, the um, non-living, our ancestors. And of course, the hay is to remind us that
0: Christ was born in a manger. These traditions are absolutely fantastic, and I'm so glad to hear that they're living on. Anastasia, what is your perception with regard to uh, whether or not these traditions will live on are they gaining steam like uh, you obviously in your family are doing a tremendous job of instilling this in your children and your grandchildren do you get the idea or the notion that this is happening in the broader orthodox community
7: i i absolutely believe that because uh yes we do have um a decrease in in Uh, people attending church and uh, going to Ukrainian school and learning the language, but at the same time, Everybody comes out at Christmas and Easter. They're really, really important. And what I noticed, maybe it's because I have a lot more time, but I also believe that um, more and more people are coming back to the traditions because we are given, in spite of the terrible pandemic and the staying at home, we were all granted with the gift of time and the gift of time to, to reflect on what's really important in our lives. And it's so inspiring and exciting to talk to young moms and dads who are saying even if it's only two dishes, we're going to do it. It's really, really important. We want to instill that tradition and that culture. And I really believe that people around the world are, are, are feeling the same. Um, I was talking to some people from Romania this morning on Skype, and uh, there's a whole group of the Romanian Orthodox who keep their, their tradition very strong, and they'll be celebrating uh, Christmas tonight. But, of course, there's also um, a lot of Ukrainian Catholics who, who celebrate um, the um, uh, Ukrainian Christmas Eve tonight as well. And, and, um, and, and I want to make sure that, you know, we don't forget about them because they follow the, uh, the, the um, uh, uh, Julian calendar, which is the old calendar, as well as we do.
2: So you mentioned the gift of time, and that was such a great way to put it, Anastasia. The gift of time has been what we've what we've all been given. It's been 365 days, I think, since we talked to you last. And so I have, unfortunately, with all that time, I have not grown any better at saying Merry Christmas in Ukrainian. Can you help us through that again? Oh,
7: Kristosudersday, it's, uh, and you were supposed to be sitting at my table this year. That's right, maybe next yep.
2: year. Next, next video. Listen, I'm coming. At least okay. All, all That's these traditions awesome. sound great, and let's add on to that. There's also a couple of beverages that get consumed. Am I wrong? Oh, no, absolutely. <laughs> well, we don't. We
7: do have some wine, but we don't do that until we have our our main meal. And then the exciting thing about tomorrow is that i'm sure that in spite of the fact that we cannot see our grandchildren that they will be at our gate singing ukrainian christmas carols and they'll be looking for those candies and coins and oranges and chocolate that they miss out on tonight so i'm super excited about that
1: well, can you do uh, like a video dinner we saw a lot of that over the, the holidays um,
7: well what, what we're going to do tonight is um, we're going to, um, the the youngest grandchild has the responsibility of finding the first star. And as soon as he sees, that, he sees that star, what he's going to do is his parents are going to connect us all on Zoom, and together we're going to um, sing Bokh um, which is a traditional Ukrainian carol. And then my husband, who would be like the the head of the household, he would um, give greetings of um, of love and prosperity. And um, what he'll do then is, um, of course, I'm pretty sure that he will welcome all the families with this traditional kutia that's made from wheat, honey, and poppy seed. He'll um, bring best wishes to all of us and a hope for a vaccine and an end to the pandemic. So, we could all see a time that we can walk freely again. Then he'll lift a spoon of kucha to the ceiling. And of course, we would hope that many of the poppies' uh, seeds and also the uh, kernels of wheat will stick to the ceiling. And then after that, we'll close our Zoom off and the um, families will eat in their own houses and um, sing Christmas carols. And we'll probably, you know, resume at the end of the meal.
0: Who plays uh, the mandolin in the family? Anyone?
7: No, but the two, two of the grandchildren pay, uh, play violin and oh, uh, nice. four of the, the grandchildren play um, piano. Oh. And they all sing and um, they um, know the carols. So they have amazing voices and so do their parents. So we're all good.
1: So before we let you go, Anastasia, can I just get you to repeat the Christmas greeting? I'm going to try to, I'm going to take a shot at it. Christos Rostaeza. Christos
7: Rostaeza? You are fantastic. I,
1: I, I didn't quite nail it, but I was, I I'm, in the, I'm in the. I'm in the parking lot. How's that? I'm not quite in the building, <laughs> but I made it into the parking lot.
7: Well, there you go. Yeah, I think you did much further than that. You did awesome. <laughs>
1: Okay. Well, Anastasia, Yaronuk, thank you so much for joining us this morning. We very much appreciate uh, the time. This was wonderful.
7: Thank you, and have a great day and hope for this to be over so we can all be out and about.
1: I, um, She just painted such a wonderful picture.
0: Yes.
2: Oh, There's my wheat. heart is They're
0: so throwing... full right yeah. now.
2: Sorry, Lorraine. I just yeah. had to say that before I start crying. It's just because, you know, when she talked about the gift of time, there is time to revisit so many of these things. And if you can have traditions that include 12 dishes, among them the best dish in the world, pierogies, and then you have wheat that's thrown at the ceiling and hay under the table, (laughs) and you've got mandolins playing, and you've got kids looking for stars, I mean, it's all so beautiful. So Merry Christmas to everyone celebrating tonight.
1: Christos Rostaeza. I hope I said that sort of properly i mean no offense if i didn't stick the landing on that but uh indeed it is a special day for many in this community hey thanks for listening to the start podcast we are available on apple podcast google podcast wherever you find your favorite podcasts subscribe now and never miss an episode and if you like what you hear rate the show tell us what you think